0: By the
1: time you see Jameis Winston playing on an NFL field again, well, at least thirty-seven days would have passed since his last appearance. The preseason is over for Jameis Winston. What do we learn about him? And we'll recap the Bucks preseason game against the Lions, including Adam Humphreys' exciting one hundred and nine-yard kick six. And go ahead and hate Chris Conte. We'll tell you why coaches love him and why the guy that calls himself the White Unicorn. Feels being a dad has changed his entire perspective. A big announcement by the Bucks today, by the way, at noon, a corporate sponsor will get the naming rights to one Buck Place. And hey, break up the Rays, man! What's going on? They sweep the first-place Red Sox to conclude a perfect home stand. They win nine to one. Blake Snell, now 16 and five, a 2.05 ERA. The Rays, winners of eight in a row, and now they are nine games. That's right, nine games. Over 500, and I thought they'd lose 100. Shows what I know. All that and more on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Burstick. Before we get started, I have a fantastic offer and exciting news from Continental Wholesale Diamonds that's going to make your jewelry selection experience unforgettable. And this offer is only for our listeners on Sports Day Tampa Bay. Continental Wholesale Diamonds is sending you and that special person to the Caribbean for a five day four-night Caribbean cruise on us with any minimum purchase of only $2,000. That's right. You can choose the cruise line and you get to choose the destination in the Caribbean that you'd wish to explore. And with our friend Andy at Continental Wholesale, he's offering you wholesale prices and the quality you deserve with a great jewelry selection. You know that you're receiving the very best when you're purchasing from Continental Wholesale Diamonds. So call Andy today at this number, 813 813 292 7375. And remember to let Andy know that you heard it from Rick and Steve on Sports Day, Tampa Bay. It's Continental Wholesale Diamonds. It's where I shop. They're at 1715 Northwest Shore Boulevard, Suite 150, right next to the Penthouse Club. All right, Steve. So the Buccaneers had their third preseason game on Friday night, and it was against the Detroit Lions, and they played very, very well. They didn't win on the scoreboard, some sloppy play by some third and fourth teamers late in the game. Uh, cost them the victory, but they were up 27-6, to 6, I believe, at one point over the Lions. Just totally dominated them in the first half with the starters. And I guess the big news is that's a wrap for Jameis Winston. I mean, that's all we're going to see him in a preseason game, and that's not a surprise. I mean, no matter what, suspension or otherwise, he would not have played in the fourth preseason game. Neither will Ryan Fitzpatrick. So from that standpoint, uh, navigating those two quarterbacks, you know, having to try to prepare two guys to start in essence – I think the Bucks did a pretty good job, and, and the, the biggest thing is that they both got out of this preseason healthy.
0: Well, you've said that for several weeks now, that no matter what happens this preseason and how the reps are divvied up and how everything goes, is that Ryan Fitzpatrick and Jameis Winston need to come out of the preseason healthy for this team to have a chance this year. And they've done that.
1: They've done that, and uh, they not only came out of it healthy, but they really played very, very well this preseason. Actually, all three quarterbacks did that, and You know, on Saturday, the day after the game, uh, Dirk Cutter announced what was obvious, and really it's the only decision they could make, that Winston uh, is now going to uh, not play in the final preseason game. And So what that means is, other than, you know, the practice that he had on Sunday, he'll practice again today, uh, then Tuesday, then he'll have a walkthrough on Wednesday. He'll be a spectator at the game on Thursday against the Jaguars. So it's essentially over for him. I mean, he'll have some practice time, and then he's got to go away. Uh, it's, it's an exile that the NFL does it so that you're not allowed to have any contact with members of the organization. And we still don't know, and I'm sure we'll find out more details if you'll share them with us, what Jameis' plans are for you know, the first three games, which is really four weeks if you include the, the practice week leading up to the first game, what he'll do to stay in shape and throw at other receivers and where he'll go, uh, I'm sure he'll he'll be somebody that'll be working out you know, once or twice a day. That's just kind of who he is. It doesn't mean the timing will be great when he gets back. But assuming that he does come back and he's in shape and assuming they may want to play him um, after the Monday night game against the Steelers, the next time that Winston can play in an NFL game will be at Chicago on September 30th. So he's got a ways to go. But I will say this about him, as far as his play on the field. Look, if he proved anything this preseason, it's really how much they're going to miss him. I think it's more than than what we even expected because Jameis Winston has gotten a lot better. Jameis Winston is playing extremely well right now. He is he has worked on his craft. You know, all distractions aside, we know this is a guy that can part, can part compartmentalize. Easy for me to say. Um, sort of his emotions and his off-field problems. He's done that before, obviously, at Florida State. But he has become a better passer, and the preseason numbers prove it. Now, I know people say, well, you know, he went against some some number two defenses, and he played, but he also, you got to consider that he played with receivers that are, you know, second and third and sometimes fourth team receivers. Here's his numbers. He finishes 30 of 41 passing. It's over 70-something percent. For three hundred and eighty-eight yards with three touchdowns, and maybe the biggest thing of all, no interceptions. And yeah, he could have had one easily, you know, against the Titans. It wound up being a touchdown. But in fact, none of the top three quarterbacks by the Bucks even had a turnover during the preseason. So that's really protecting the ball. That's been an emphasis, it always is, but it's something they've actually managed to do. His one hundred and twenty six point nine passer rating. That is the highest in the NFL this preseason among quarterbacks that have thrown at least 25 passes. And ironically, the number two quarterback in that category is on his team. It's Ryan Griffin. Ryan Griffin's been phenomenal. He's got
0: a 113.8. He's doing that uh, with 13
1: <laughs> and He's doing it with third. That's right. Um, and finally got to play. It, w- it was interesting. I talked to Ryan a little bit. We'll probably play some of that interview next uh, or, or later in the week. But uh, as I write a story about him, but I talked to Ryan. A little bit about, you know, the cool thing when he came into the game on Friday night, he actually, the Detroit Lions and Matt Patricia were still playing their starting their starting uh, defense. In fact, all their starters were in. Uh, and the Bucks had it pulled, you know, their their starters on offense, obviously. But against the number one defense of the Lions, Ryan Griffin took him right down the field. And he threw an absolute dime on like third and one, which, you know, is one of those B right plays, they call them. Like, you, you can take a shot there, but you better be right. <laughs> <And> he, threw, <laughs> he threw a perfect touchdown pass uh, on, that, on that particular game or on that snap. So uh, he's looked really, really good, and, and he's going to be the number two, and he's somebody they have a lot of confidence in. Even though he hasn't played in a regular season game, this is really the most I think I've seen him play in the preseason and, and play well, and you can just see that he's, he's worked on his game as well. And so he's ready to go. But we talked to Dirk Cutter after uh, the game, the day after, actually. And uh, since we haven't had a chance to talk to you guys, I want to go ahead and tell you, this is what Dirk Cutter had to say about Winston, about his situation, about his performance, and how he's handled everything.
2: I think performance-wise, you would have to, you would have to give Jameis an A for the preseason. You know, I don't think anybody in their right mind would say that wasn't an A performance on his part. I think he handled it well. Uh, I think he performed very well, and I think he did a really good job of working on things he needed to work on. So, uh, obviously, you know, it's we, we've, beat, we've beat it enough. The situation is what it is. Uh, wish it wasn't that way, but, but it is. And uh, we're going to miss him when he's gone, and, you know, we'll be glad when he gets back. I think Jameis has always been good about helping guys learn. You know the fact that he'll stay out there and work with anybody. He's just now he's how he's also taken it one step further to uh, be enforced to work with them in practice. I think that's uh, definitely been good for those guys, but I also think part of it's good for Jameis.
1: So now I thought that also Ryan Fitzpatrick had a good good game. He needed one because he needed to bounce back from the way he played against Tennessee, and he, he was pretty effective. He took him down to score. You know the first possession that they had. I thought that Peyton Barber ran the ball well. And that's what they need to do for Ryan Fitzpatrick. They need to be able to establish a running game. They had a lot of offensive linemen that were out of that game, really only two starters uh, that were playing on the offensive line. So, uh, considering all that, Ali Marpet was out, Donovan Smith, uh, you know, Caleb Benenocht, all those guys not playing. To run the ball and move it consistently the way they did was, was impressive. But, you know, overall, I mean, if you just looked at numbers, you would say, eh. You know, Fitzpatrick played well against Miami in the one series he had, took him down and scored, played well in the final game, not so good in the middle. He finished 17-28, 183 yards, no touchdowns, and more importantly, no interceptions. I mean, 79-9 passer rating is nothing to really shout about, but that's who Ryan Fitzpatrick is. If he, he can be consistent and not turn the ball over, that's you give yourself a chance. And, man, the one thing, Steve, I'm telling you, I was I'm watching that game and I wrote about this uh, you know, during the game is – I mean, if you get any play from your quarterback, right, and from your offensive line that can protect him, there are so many weapons on this football team. And I I try not to get caught up in the fact that I see these guys every day and trying to compare them to other teams. And, look, every team is talented, right? I mean, there's plenty of weapons for Drew Brees with the Saints. We know the Eagles won a Super Bowl. You know, the Pittsburgh Steelers come here, and we know about their wide receivers and Ben Roethlisberger. And, you know, just, I mean, they're loaded on offense too. But, you know, just watching them distribute the ball to, you know, Deshaun Jackson and and Mike Evans, who made a great catch, but you know was called for a offensive pass interference. Uh, O.J. Howard, who I think, if you can buy stock in a player this year, I'd buy it in O.J. Howard. This guy's going to be a Pro Bowl tight end. I don't have any question about it. I mean, he's improved so much over his first year, route running, awareness, spatial awareness on the field. I think his blocking is better, and he's going to play a ton of snaps. I think O.J. Howard's going to have a big year. He get called for an offensive pass interference penalty that no one has seen yet, and he ends up bouncing off a of safety. It would have been a huge gain for him. He would have had a big night. As it was, he played very, very well. Chris Godwin still going up, and you know makes the great you know fade stop in the end zone on the throw by Jameis Winston. He's been a beast. And then you have you know guys like Cam brake that that is still going to factor in this thing quite a bit. Hadn't done much in the preseason, but you know he's going to be a big red zone target. And Adam Humphreys. I mean, Adam Humphreys is still very effective as a slot receiver, as a guy who can run a lot of different bubble screens and things. And what a play he made. And they they had worked on this about two and a half weeks ago. You know, there are situations, and we saw it. Of course, the most famous one, you know, was Alabama against Auburn. Auburn, a couple years ago, you know, returning the kick six for a touchdown and knocking Alabama out of it. But uh, it was really impressive. So, you know, they're lining up. Matt Prater's lining up for a 62-yard field goal. If you haven't seen this, you need to go on YouTube or something and watch it. It's pretty exciting. And so they call timeout because originally they had Chris Conte back there sort of as a deep center fielder. Call timeout to put Humphreys back up against the goal, goal, goal line, essentially. Uh, the kick is about a yard short. He takes this thing nine yards deep in the end zone. And it's really a good play you know, for the team that's returning it because on special teams and your kick protection, you just have a lot of big guys. You don't have – most of them are offensive linemen or at best tight ends. You don't have really anybody that that is used to going down and making tackles, and they're not your best athletes. They can't run. So Humphreys takes this thing and starts upfield and, you know, kind of peels off to his left, and he's got Quan Alexander out there. Um, You know, he's got blockers everywhere. Makes a nice cut, gets by Prater, and goes 109 yards for a kick six. That – if it happened in a real game, I mean, as it was, it was really cool. But if it happened in a real game, people would lose their minds, you know.
0: Oh, it, it it's just, one of the it, most exciting plays in football. I mean, particularly oh. you know that Auburn Alabama one, which decides the Iron Bowl. But but yeah. to, to you know, it's it's kind of and especially as kickoffs now go away with all yes. the new rules and how they're trying not to have that kind of thing. It's it's kind of the closest thing you get to that almost anymore.
1: Yeah, it really is. I mean, I. I I was excited just watching it. So, you know, you got, so you got all these weapons, right. And, and then you have, you have the chance to run the ball. I mean, Peyton Barber is, is again, one of the more improved players I've seen on this team, you know, comes from Auburn essentially as an undrafted free agent came out of Auburn early, had some hardships. His mom essentially was homeless. She was living, you know, with his sister and her kids and, uh, you know, he felt like he needed to go into pro football and, and made it, you know, from a practice, made it to a practice squad, essentially. Uh, and now he's the starting running back, and he will be the starter, I think, when they go to New Orleans September 9th. Uh, so, you know, he, he has shown not just the power, but the ability to cut good vision, finishing runs. He really finishing finishes runs, had a big touchdown run in that game, I think 14 yards of first possession, broke a tackle in the backfield, does what he's been doing. And then, you know, Finally, they got to see a little bit of success from Ronald Jones, and this was huge. You know, this was really a huge thing for Jones. You know, he if you look at the the, the running plays that he's had, the blocking's just not been there. I mean, it's very hard, you know, to, to downgrade a guy because there's nowhere to run. Uh, they just haven't done a good job when he's been in the game, which is very often with number two, you know, second and third team offensive linemen. Now, he got in the game fairly early because after the first series, Dirk Cutter said to Barber, We've seen enough. You're done. You know, we want you uh, to go to New Orleans with us. But uh, but Ronald Jones, you know, they split him out wide early in the game, and, and Fitzpatrick audibled to him, saw the matchup, threw a perfect ball about 38 yards or so down the field. He makes a nice catch, which is another big thing to see because he's been struggling with his hands out there a little bit. Not that he doesn't have good hands, but he just hadn't caught a lot of balls. But he tracked that one beautifully. And so that was good to see for Ronald Jones. So, I mean, when you think about these weapons, I mean, they really have some skilled players. And, again, if they can protect the quarterback, if they can find a way to run the ball, um, and and teams, I think, are going to challenge them and roll up, you know, nine, ten-man fronts and just dare Fitzpatrick to beat them in man coverage, um, I I think that they have a shot. Now, are they going to win all three games? Probably not. I mean, again, I don't think you expect your backup quarterback, no matter who it is, if he's got to play those three teams to win all three, or even two of the three. If he, went, if he goes two and one, I mean, you're playing with house money. But I think they could get one game, and then you then you take your chances. You know, the game they need to get is always the season opener. I mean, that's the one that everybody wants. Uh, and New Orleans is at home. That's a tough building to play in. It's going to be very loud. The place is going to be lit. They're going to be very hyped. You know, but they don't have Mark Ingram. Um, they've lost a couple games in September there the last few years. And you just never know what you're going to get in the first game, so I also think. And people have been asking me about their defense. Look, the thing I'll say about their defense, you know, we haven't we've seen the new defensive line. Now some guys didn't play Bo Allen. We haven't seen Mitch Unrine. Uh Some of these guys haven't been in there. But the thing I'll say about the defensive line, it is much improved. And JPP, Jason Pierre-Paul's big reason for it. Gerald McCoy looks fast. He had a sack the other night. He still got the good get off and all of that. Um, but they're not really given their defensive lineman much of a chance to rush. And the reason is Mike Smith has his corner still playing off the ball. And when you do that, teams are just continually to, you know, flipping the ball out to the perimeter, 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 you know, uh, making these corners have to come up and make tackles and things like that. Uh, you miss one tackle the guys out the gate for a first down, sometimes more. So, mm-hmm. I think Mike Smith is this is my theory. I think Mike Smith is holding back. I mean, you're not gonna play off coverage all the time. You'll get picked apart. You can't do it in this league. And if if you look at the kind of corners they have, Carlton Davis is a long uh, good, you know, physical, you know, man to man cover corner. And he's gonna be in the, on the field whenever teams go to three receivers. And so He has the ability to do that. You've got Hargraves that can lock guys down if he's playing in the slot, especially when they go three wide. And we know that Brent Grimes can play pretty much any defense you want. And I think you have to press these guys in today's football a little bit to give your defensive lineman a chance to get there because that quarterback needs to pull the ball down. And he's not going to do it if people are playing off. So we'll see what they do in the regular season. I've gotten a lot of questions about Mike Smith and why they continue to play this sort of, you know, bend and sometimes break defense, but um, I got to believe that's going to change. But I have – I will say this, and I don't know how you feel about it, Steve. I know you've watched some of their games. I think this team is better than I thought it was going to be. And even with the the suspension, even with the, uh, you know, sort of the terrible position that Winston has put them in, if they can come out of this, even one and two, and then he goes – he comes back and he'll have to win in Chicago, which won't be easy to do, but they get back to five hundred. They come out of September at five hundred. I, I will give them a fighting chance to, to be in the division race.
0: Well, we said all along in the off season that the Bucks last year won the offseason. And it, you know, turns out it absolutely wasn't. And hard knocks at the expectations and, and everything else. Oh yeah. This year as as they approach the off season, they completely bolstered the defensive line, which was the biggest weakness on the team they added Ryan Jensen on the offensive line and there's still some questions on the offensive line now they drafted several players in the back end of the sec- defensive secondary which was another big weakness on the team that they added so many pieces we were raving about it's the Winston suspension and the teams they're facing during that time that has put in a damper on all that and i agree with you if they can get through September 2 and 2 maybe even one and 3 depend- if if everything's you know playing well you can give yeah. them a fighting chance. Absolutely. I mean, they have a lot of talent on this team. This is the most talented Bucks team in years.
1: It is skill wise. There's no doubt about that. I'm I'm still not completely sold on. You know, part of the offensive line problems is that you've not seen these guys play together. In mm-hmm. offensive line play, you really do you do need that continuity. I mean, Ryan Jensen is an upgrade at center um, with Ali Marpet playing at guard. We don't know the status of Donovan Smith. That knee looked really, really bad. They say it's a sprain. That's two to four weeks. I've not seen Donovan even walking around, so I couldn't tell you how he looks even at this point. Um, but if he can't start, that's a problem because it's your left tackle. You know, and, and DeMar Dotson is, is really just now working himself into being able to play 11-on-11. 11 11. He played some the other night, but you know, to think that he's going to have to go in at New Orleans and play four quarters – um, you don't know what kind of physical shape he's going to be in. and, and, and you know, He'll gut it out. Caleb Benenok has been up and down. You know, they, just, they haven't been together long enough to really judge this offensive line. I think if they stay together, they'll be better as the year goes on. But these injuries have sort of taken turns hitting them, and no, nothing is, except for Smith, nothing seems to be threatening the season opener. Um, but if they, if they can get that offensive line pulled together, I think that's going to be a big key. And I think that you know, I do. I, I do think they have as good a skilled players as I've ever as I've seen on this football team, and for a very, very long time. I mean, you know, you can go back. They've never had prolific offenses, even when John Gruden was here. The year he won the Super Bowl, they were 24th overall. They got hot in the postseason. But they had a tremendous very, very
0: defense, and you still don't. There's more talent on this defense. I don't know if it's going to be a tremendous defense yet. No, I
1: don't think it's going to be elite. But what they got to hope for is it's middle of the pack. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, when you're 32nd in the league and everything, 15 looks really, really good, you know. so if, Look, if, the, if they're up- middle of the
0: pack and Jameis Winston plays the way he's playing in the preseason as far as improvement from last year. Mm-hmm. And, and statistically, the last three years, he's been fantastic. He's gotten better every year. Yeah, but – it's the way he plays. Forget the not the stats, but the, no, it's the winning football winning what football, watching him play, the decision making, everything yep. else that has yep. looked much better. His footwork has looked much better this preseason. If yeah. your defense is middle of the pack and he's improved that much, you've got a chance.
1: You do. And I, I think he has improved that much. I mean I've watched this guy year to year to year to year. He's every year he's changed his body. Every year he's he's worked on his weaknesses. You know, he used to be heavy footed and now He's got his feet under him. The biggest thing he's done, if you watch him, is that when he loses, when he breaks the pocket, he's keeping both hands on the football. I mean, he's doing a really good job of, even on that crazy spinorama play, you know, that he had, you know, up in Tennessee that he should have never thrown. When he gets whipped around, the guy's trying to get the ball out. And Jameis kept both hands on the ball. And, you know, last year it wasn't so much the interceptions, but he had a lot of fumbles and a lot of costly fumbles, you know, when he's trying to extend plays and the ball comes out. And so, you know, he has drilled and drilled, keeping two hands on the ball, and his decision-making's been really good. His arm, I, his arm's as strong as I've seen it since he's been here, which is weird because he's coming off the shoulder injury. But, you know, sometimes, you you know, you, you go and you, you work on those muscles and you try to strengthen them after you've had an injury like that. And if you watch the trajectory of some of his passes, I mean, it's pointed, you know, that ball takes a downward point as it's going to the receiver and it's humming so i mean i think i think he just has played as well as he could play and it's a shame i mean you know this is this is the thing that where the rubber meets the road is that he has he he would have had all this momentum uh he would have had you know all this execution um and could have carried that right into new orleans and just you know to think about what Bucks fans could feel about their football team on opening day if he was at quarterback and again they still have a chance but it's not Jameis Winston and that's a damn shame because he has gotten better and this this should and would have been um, his best year now well again we'll see when he comes back how much timing goes away I don't think it'll be a lot um, you know but he will not have played a game uh, in in like five weeks. So that's going to be very, very tough, especially going on the road at Chicago. He only have one game. He'll have the bye week, you know, and then he'll play at home. I think against Cleveland, but it's you know it's really promising that that quarterback has gotten better. And look, if he plays lights out, like I think he's going to, I think the I think he could take them someplace. But that's really that's really where they're at. That's where the organization is at. They need Fitzpatrick to you know hold the line, get them a win or two. And then they need Winston to just be terrific, be fantastic. And he has the ability to do that. And so I'm sort of anxious to see, you know, just, just where that goes. Uh, one other thing, uh, if you have a chance to check out this story in Tampa Bay.com, I wrote a story about Chris Conte, who, you know, a lot of people, it's funny because he's been an easy target for whatever reason, ever since he came from the bears, you got here with Lovey Smith and bears fans were saying, Oh God, good riddance. He's terrible, blah, blah, blah. And, Actually, he's gotten better every year, and I'll, I'll give you some numbers here that'll that'll prove that in just a second. But he's a guy that, for whatever reason, people love to troll. I mean, a lot of football players get trolled, you know, but man, they they just love to hate Chris Conte, and it's not. I'm sure it's not the majority of Bucks fans, but it's the vocal you know heroes on on social media. So there was a play from Friday night's preseason game, and even though he only played a half, uh, Conte still, I mean, he had a good game. He had like six tackles. Um, And then there was this play where Kenny Galladay uh, catches a pass uh, sort of in a bunch formation, and there's a breakdown. Uh, He runs out of there, and it's a 36-yard gain. And, of course, Conte does a hustle play and comes across, you know, he's the last line of defense, obviously. He comes across and stops the guy and it ends up being a four-point swing because they hold him to a field goal. So he saves a touchdown. But most people, when you're watching the game on TV, go, oh, look at that guy. He got beat. He's out of position. He made the tackle, but what's he doing way over there? But it wasn't his man. They blew the coverage in a bunch of formation. He actually made a hustle play to stop him. And that's sort of the thing in talking to Dirk Cutter that a lot of people look at and, and blame Chris Conte for a breakout play when, in fact, he might have been the guy that that stopped it from going, you know, going all the way. Um, so I had a chance to talk to Chris a little bit uh, and, and as well as Dirk Cutter about him. You know, the thing is, is that, first of all, people need to understand with respect to Conte. Teams don't just give away contracts or jobs. OK, this is one of 32 NFL teams. They're looking for the best players in the world. All right, they two years ago they re-signed Conte to a two-year deal. It had a it had, the second year was the option year, which is this year. They picked up the option. It's five million dollars for the two years. Okay, this will be his eighth NFL season. So you got to be pretty good to play eight seasons, especially when most of those uh, were as a starter. Uh, now for the Bucks, you know, again, everybody like during this game, I went back and I looked on his timeline uh, on social media. And this is like the mean tweets, right? So it's Justin Baker, uh, at JBake. (laughs) He tweets, watching the Lions at Bucks game, and if you Bear fans are wondering, Chris Conte is still a bum. (laughs) I mean, it's not funny, but it's kind of like, really? That's the first one. The second one from at Chris and a bunch of numbers uh, tweeted, Chris Conte is arguably one of the worst DBs we've ever had uh, shake my head at Buccaneers Nick P 216 tweeted can someone explain to me why Chris Conte is starting a safety still <laughs> it just it just goes on and on I mean this guy takes more abuse than probably any any player uh, on the Bucks team outside of maybe Gerald
3: what's worth more than this fear right now and that rising after failure
0: is part of the glory of being a human being listen to deeply personal insightful and thought-provoking stories from the world's leading thinkers and doers listen and subscribe to the unmistakable creative wherever you get your podcasts
1: coy at times um during the draft you know they picked jordan whitehead out of out of pit and occasionally you know Conte will give it back to him but so during the, during the draft, when they picked Jordan Whitehead, this guy, at Buck Till Die, I love that, love that handle, uh, tweeted, OMG, so pumped, somewhere Chris Conte is freaking out. Glad he won't see the field much longer. To which Conte actually saw it during the draft and responded, hey, I'm home and currently not freaking out. But OMG, congrats on your new ownership of the Bucks. So, So he just gives it back to him. But if you talk to him, he's a really nice guy and if you talk to him he just like he, even though he, he does get him at times, he sort of stopped with this whole back and forth He says look people can do and say whatever they want to and, and the biggest difference in him is confidence. I mean he's he's in a good place as far as knowing Mike Smith's defense, understanding where he's supposed to be. I mean two years ago he won two games almost by himself with you know they pick six against Chicago, a huge interception at Kansas City when they went nine and seven. Um, so he's played good football, but, you know, if you just look at his numbers, I mean, people are always on this guy. So the last three years, he has 226 tackles, okay, five interceptions, 19 passes defensed, and five five forced fumbles. Those are not bad numbers. I mean, for example, that's more tackles than uh, Micah Hyde of the Bills and Harrison Smith over the last three years, and they both made the Pro Bowl. Oh, and it's more forced fumbles than Malcolm Jenkins of the Eagles, who has four, and he's made Pro Bowls. So you you kind of look you look through these numbers and you go, hey, he's right there with some of the best safeties in the league. But for whatever reason, people love to love to dislike Chris Conte. The
3: way I value things is differently as I've gone older, yeah. uh, having a family mm-hmm. and having people. That matter to me, you know. I care what they think. I don't care what other people think. And you know, as I've gotten older too, you know, it used to be all just about football, and now I kind of start to realize there's other, more important things in life too. So, kind of just, know, people are gonna be people, and I'm gonna live my life, and they can live their life. So, just how you gotta approach it. What's fatherhood like? It's awesome. It's the best thing you can ever do. So, um, the best part of my life, and you know. uh, not that I wish I would have done it sooner, but <laughs> I'm very thankful for where I'm at right now.
1: When you come home and have a bad day, does that change everything?
3: It changes everything. Um, yeah. Completely, just forget about everything else. Yeah. You know, you come home tired, you don't have any energy, and all of a sudden you see your, you know, your little girl's face and like she I got. She didn't care, right? Energy. <laughs> so it just comes out of nowhere. I don't know where it comes from, but um, it changes your life.
1: All right, Steve, let's, let's talk about the Rays, and, and I want to preface this by saying I'm the dumbest guy in Tampa because Tampa Bay. I, I truly, truly believe this team is on its way to 100 losses this year. Now, let me, let me throw a little caveat in there. This is not the team that they had when the season started. No, there's been quite in a fact, turnover of the roster. Yeah, now that should actually be to their credit, not to mine. Like I can't say, mm-hmm. well, I didn't know you were going to have all these guys, because most, a lot of these guys were playing in the minors. We knew at some point they would bring up Willie Adamas. Well, you also uh, didn't know that Bauer. Brent
0: Honeywell, Anthony Bond, and Jose De Leon would have Tommy John. No, and that actually would have should have bolsters made more losses. You know, yes, 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 which means which shows the job they're doing is even more impressive.
1: And I didn't know for sure they were going to trade Chris Archer, although we suspected that and we didn't know, you know, Denard Spann was still here and Alex Colomay. You know, Alex Colomay was still here. Wilson so, Ramos. Look, they've reinvented this entire team as they've played the season, which is unheard of in many, many ways. But more than that, they're a hell of an exciting team to watch. I mean, this team is pitching lights out. Um, you know, I mean, they just took apart The Red Sox. I'm wondering what the Red Sox are thinking right now. You know, 15 minutes ago, they had like a 10 game lead over the Yankees, right? 10 or 10 and a half, and now all of a sudden, going into uh, tonight as we tape this, uh, you know, the Yankees six and a a half, and the
0: Yankees are playing right now.
1: Yeah, they had a chance to sweep Baltimore, Mm -hmm. and and in the loss column, it's five. So you know, all of a sudden, the Rays have helped put the Red Sox right back, or put the Yankees right back in the race and and i know i know that 9 games over 500 really that's that's phenomenal to think that they're that it's a season high obviously and look they don't look like they're going to slow down to me they got to go to atlanta so going to start to play some tough teams but a perfect home stand i saw i think in the paper i think it was today or online that the rays home record is on par with the chicago cubs this year you know Mm-hmm. I mean, it's incredible how well they played at home.
0: Well, here's so, the, here's the here's the bad part: is last year on August 26, as we tape this, nine games over 500 would put you in the second wild card spot with a three game lead over the next team. Oh man, Twins. don't say that. Don't
1: say and that. And you'd be wow. one.
0: You'd be a half game behind the first wild card Yankees. Wow, is that this year? The hard part is is you're 9 games above 500, but you're 9 games out of the second wild card behind Oakland. That's who's crazy. Tw- who's 27 games above 500.
1: That's crazy, man. What the A's have done, A's and Rays, well what the A's have done is is just as remarkable.
0: Yeah, you know, I mean, you know, Seattle they. was controlling that second wild card for the most of the first half of the season and now Oakland's just, you know, gone right past them and Seattle I never thought Seattle had an, enough uh, enough team to to really keep up that pace, and, and it's, that's proven out, but I didn't think Oakland would put on the run they've put on.
1: Look, maybe they'll get there. Maybe there'll be a collapse somewhere along the line. I doubt it. But no matter what, okay, you go back to the Yankees series, you know, and and, and sweeping, you know, I think they swept the Yankees here at the Trop, if I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken. Yep. Um, you know, they did a pretty good job uh, on Boston at Fenway. I think they, they only won one game, but they were competitive games. But being able to come and have Boston come in here and sweep them – have the Yankees come in here and sweep them? I mean, the confidence that that will build for that young baseball team and those guys that have you know been successful together all the way through the minor leagues and won championships. I mean, that's what it's all about, man. It's all about standing up to the big guys and knowing, hey, we can go toe to toe with these guys and take them down, you know. And, and that's what they did. With they took down an old friend in Nathan Ivaldi, mm-hmm. who had started out 15 scoreless innings. He's been roughed up a little bit his last couple outings. You knew the Yankees were in trouble because Blake Snell was on the mound. And Blake Snell right now, because Chris Sale is 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 nicked up, I guess he's got, what, shoulder fatigue or something, whatever's mm-hmm. going on with him. But right now, Blake Snell is probably the best pitcher in the major leagues going right now.
0: I know J.C. Aaron Seabia, former catcher for the, the Rays and among many other teams, uh, and he's now an analyst, I believe, for MLB Network or one of those. Uh, he, mm-hmm. the other day, was saying that Blake Snell is the best pitcher in baseball.
1: I mean, he's got to be in the conversation. And the way he's pitching, the way he's getting it done, his stuff is just playing like it's unhittable. I mean, Mm -hmm. he he gave up two hits, six innings, you know, uh, one run. Lowers his ERA, I believe. It's down to 2.05. Correct. Arguably, Steve, it's 16-5. and So, now, the club record is the 20 wins that David Price had the year he won the Cy Young. Snell could get that. Snell could get that and surpass it. But the 2.05 – I mean, if you combine those two, this we're we're watching it, what arguably will wind up being the greatest pitching performance in club history.
0: David Price was twenty and five in two thousand twelve, and he had a two five six ERA. Still a very good ERA, and he won the very Cy Young. Very good, yeah. But yeah, two point oh five. I mean, I mean, right now, if I had to take a, a pitcher in baseball right now, I think I'd take mm-hmm. Jake DeGrom number one. Who okay. Talk about a phenomenal season on an awful team. Yeah, that's true. Um, his stuff, I mean, the amount of games he's lost one, nothing or two, one is just incredible. This sure. season. Um, next, I mean, I-, I think sales in that mix. I think Blake Snell's in there. I think mm-hmm. maybe a Verlander, uh, Trevor Bauer's done pretty well this year, Nola for Philly. But I mean, Blake's right there. And in-, in my mind, if I had to take a pitcher for one game this year, he's definitely in, in the top, you know, he's probably... I probably would pick DeGrom one and then, you know, any one of those for number two. So, Blake could be right there.
1: I don't know if he'll do it, um, but you need to throw Chris Archer-like extension at him. You know what I mean? And, and see if you can't lock him up before he gets out of here at $25 million a year. Um, He just looks like the next guy. And so, it's unfortunate. I mean, hopefully, you know, for them, what the Rays got to be hoping is, is that to get this damn stadium built um, – You know, the payroll's going to be down pretty much as it is. I mean, they may be in a position to pay him. You know, you talk about pitchers that have always gotten away. I mean, again, it's not like, as it currently is structured, they can afford to pay a a pitcher 25 mil a year. But if they can find a way to to lock him up or extend
0: their control of him somehow, man, I would Right now, he's under control through the 2022 season, which means... He'd be an unrestricted free agent going into the new stadium, assuming it gets done in 2023.
1: Uh, you definitely. I wonder what his records will be by that time. That's something scary to think about. I love the way this team is going.
0: I love the way they're headed. I, I, just I love the way they play. They're having fun. And and yeah, y- you know, in sports, talent means a lot, and it gets you a lot of places. But the chemistry mm-hmm. of a team, uh, particularly, you know, in baseball, which is an everyday sport. Having fun in that chemistry means a lot, and, and teams with a little less talent can do a lot more when they have that great chemistry, or those with a lot of potential can develop quicker because of that chemistry. And you've, you you can see teams that have a lot of talent, but bad chemistry in the clubhouse, whether it's bad guys or, or whatever's going on, managers not controlling it well, can really tank a team. You know, we've seen, and, and you know, look back, you know, this year they've celebrated the 10th anniversary of the Rays going to the World Series, and how much people talked about Dan Wheeler and Cliff Floyd. Mm-hmm. and the impact in the clubhouse and, and how they, they gelled and allowed them to have fun and, and kind of brought that professionalism. Well, you've seen that this year from a lot of guys, you know, including you know Carlos Gomez, who's having more fun than him on this team. And he's, he's barely playing anymore. But you love to see that where it's, it's helping guys stay loose and, and have fun. Um, Sergio Romo has been great for the pitching staff, I believe. Um, you, know, you just see that, and it, it's, it's setting them up for future success which is ultimately what, you know, I think everyone going into the season thought it was tanking. The Rays kept telling us it's not. We're going to be better than you think, and they were right. But I think if you honestly ask them, this was a transition year for them, that they were really trying to set up for 2019-2020. They didn't say it at the time going into the season, but they honestly believe they were going to – I don't know if they thought they'd be nine games over five hundred at this point, especially with some of the injuries they had on the pitching staff, but – this was definitely going to be a transition year. They thought they had a better team than what everybody else said, and they were right. And but it's really about winning next year and the year after, and setting it up for future success.
1: Look, if you win eighty games, I mean, God, we dare we say ninety? I mean, this is unbelievable what they're doing. They're here way early, earlier than what they could have ever anticipated, and and I, and they're really just kind of getting started. You mentioned all the guys that you know have been shelved for Tommy John and, and, and different things like that that they were counting on. There's still some really good prospects. Their minor league system people have rated, I think, second in baseball of late. So there's a lot of guys still, you know, still on the farm, so to speak. It's it's just been in the right way. They play hard, they play good defense. The pitching and the defense goes together. The story of the year I still think has been this this pitching, you know, construct where, you know, you have the openers and uh, the mixing and matching that has seemed to have worked you don't need that with blake snow they'd love to have four of those guys mm-hmm. um, but it's awfully hard but you know one day you may have
0: two or three of them. well they yeah. hope to i mean they you know they anticipated honeywell would be one of those guys uh anthony right. Bonda was showing he possibly could have been jake faria has mm-hmm. been hurt a lot this year you hope he could have been you're supposed to have you know chris archer was on this team i, right. I don't you know i think the you know, if you remember back to the beginning of the season, this, this opener, and it wasn't an opener at the time, it was going to be bullpen days. They didn't really have the opener concept. Right. It was going to be one day. Right. I mean, the rotation was supposed to be Archer, Snell, bullpen right. day, Avaldi, who was coming off Tommy John, and Faria. Right. You know, you were only doing the bullpen day one day a week. It was the injuries sure. and all that, then all of a sudden you were doing bullpen days two or three times, and then they kind of came up with this opener Concept And to be honest, from what I'm hearing, is it's not like they came up with it in April this year. This is something they've talked about for quite a, to- a while. They just never fully executed it and went with it. And some of the injuries and all that, and I think some of having so many young pitchers, too, necessitated it in their minds. That, you know, ultimately, a manager's job is to put players in a position to perform the best they can. Put them in a position to succeed. That's what a manager's job, in any, in any field. Well, for instance, I'll take Ryan Stanek. When he's pitching late in the games, he is not nearly as good as when he's pitching early in the game. I have to assume that's more of a mental thing than anything. That, you know, some people handle the pressure of late in the game. We all know the last three outs are the hardest three outs to get in the game. When he's coming in the first inning, he's just letting it fly. And he's doing very well in the first inning. He struggles later in the game. They've put him in a better position to succeed at this time. And that's what you have to give a lot of credit to the Rays organization for. Right. No, they've done, they've done a
1: nice job of mixing and matching. I mean, they, they have, but, but to think, you know, it's, it's one thing to say we're going to do this. It's another thing for the pitchers to go out there and be great. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, to, the streak they had, well, I don't know, how, what was it, over 20 innings? 27 innings or something like that mm-hmm. without giving yep. up
0: a run? Yeah, that's correct. They tied a franchise you just, record.
1: Yeah, and think about it. They've been playing baseball a minute here in Tampa, and they've had some big-name pitchers. But, but you know, you just don't put together those types of streaks without just a hell of a lot of talent and, mm-hmm. and guys doing really, really well. And, you know, again, it's out of necessity you had to kind of go this route, but they've all really bought into it, and they've all performed, you know. And I just – it's been something to watch. I mean, I love – I tell you, I love Adamez – I love his energy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can see the guys having fun. you, you can see you can see how much uh, how much they, they, they really get into watching each other perform and, and come through and um, it, it's it is. It's that chemistry. Jake Bowers, I mean, they had it together all through the minor leagues. but that youthful energy I've always said, you do need veterans, you do need the like you said, the Cliff Floyds and guys like that. I think Eric Hinsky maybe may have been a guy, um, mm-hmm. you know, at some point in the 2008 season. But you also, I I believe that very often that sports is a young man's game, you know? Yep. Uh, I know that's becoming that way in football and outside of the quarterback position where, you know, you've got to be Tom Brady and you're, you know, like 50 years old, but It it just there's something to that energy
0: and well that's one that's one of the issues I think baseball in general has is Mm -hmm. that most players aren't making the majors till 24 25 26 that's right you don't have that youthful energy I mean you you have your you know there's some phenomenal players that get there a lot quicker but Mm -hmm. most players are spending four five six years in the minors before they get to the majors yeah. And, and and that young man's energy and you know if you if you read the science of it I mean everybody's body you know essentially peaks at age twenty four physically and it's really? downhill yeah. yeah that the science will tell you I mean no there's things you can do to to do that but your body physically peaks about twenty four wow that explains what I'm
1: going through right now yeah then.
0: and so you know like <laughs> working out and everything you, there's lots of things you can do to to you know minimize know, the just the, the downside effects but you know baseball yeah. players aren't even in the majors by 24 a lot of them no it's rare you know where other sports it's you know from the NBA it's a youth game and Mm -hmm. and you know almost every other football is very much a youth game at this point oh I can tell you that's what's changed that's the biggest change in football to me is that it's a young man sport you know I'm not an expert at hockey but it sure seems like a lot more younger players are making it to the NHL quicker than they used to Mm-hmm. Um, not, not, it's not to say everyone it, and hockey's a little more like baseball where you spend more time in juniors and then, you know, the HL, but it seems like you make it to the big leagues, you know, to the, to the, the top league quicker than you do oh, in baseball. Yeah. That's one of the things in baseball. But you know, the other part about the youth on this team is the opener strategy probably works because of it mm-hmm. because almost every one of their pitchers is either in their first or second year. And so they're happy to be here. What do you want me to do? I'll do whatever. And, and, you know, it allows you to get buy-in. And then when you have early success with it, it creates more buy-in. Right. Because, you know, not only is it kind of different and, and, and you know, everybody's kind of going, what is this, why, et cetera. But when you have success with it, and especially, you know, the first months or two they did it, the, their team ERA was the best in baseball. It's gone up a little mm-hmm. bit since. But, you know, that creates more buy-in. But that youthful exuberance of, hey, I'm happy to be here. Where do you want me to pitch? I don't know any better. Really right. probably no one, made it work and the early success prolonged it.
1: Right. No one's whining because they're not on the back end of the bullpen or they're not closing or they're not starting. You know, they're all they're all taking taking the ball when they give it to them and, and mm-hmm. going out there. But you know, the other thing is that when you make when you make full use of that bullpen or you make full use of that bench, guys and I thought Madden was good doing this. Guys take ownership of the team. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Of the success of the team. They all have a role. Mm-hmm. And they all they all are part of it. You know, it's it's. I think too often it's easy to have a guy and say, "Well, you're my utility infielder. You're going to play every four days. Mm-hmm. You know, or you're my fourth outfielder. And when I need or I need this guy to DH or take a break. You're going to play four days. That that does not really keep guys engaged and feel like they're part of what's going on. And I think if you're You know, if you're on this team, you got a big role. You're going to be playing big roles. You know, Mm because there's no small roles. Whether it's that's the opener, the middle guy, uh, you know, setup or closer, it's all the same. And they've moved these. You're right. They've moved these guys around and figured out where they thrive and who can get. You know, right now, Romo is still the guy. They I think they have the most confidence in getting the last three outs. But they're going to have to come up with a closer, and they got plenty of guys that have. You know the ability to do
0: that well you've started to see in the last couple of weeks Adam Colleric had that huge save at Yankee Stadium oh yeah uh, Jose Alvarado is starting to close out a few games where mm-hmm. I think they're they're trying to figure out I mean you know my guess is Sergio Romo may not be on this team next year maybe they recently, Probably him, but Probably but the not. odds are he will not be on this team next year and he's the one guy in the bullpen they trust to close out a game sure so now they're trying to figure out is it Alvarado is it Castillo is it choleric or do we have somebody else? that can close in the future, or maybe next year they even go out and sign a free agent as a closer, someone to close games out for them. But, you know, they are trying to figure out those last three outs of the game or four or five who, who they can trust there.
1: Yeah. And that's what hasn't changed is no matter how you get to those last three outs, the last three outs are special and, and, and they're the hardest outs in a game and not everyone can do it. Not everyone thrives in that pressure. Um, and, and sometimes you just have to develop those guys. I mean, column a, you know, had been a starter most of all of his career, and they moved into the bullpen, he wound up getting 40 saves a year. So, um, you know, you can do it. It's just a matter of, of, you know, getting out there and gaining the confidence. But overall, if you're a Rays fan, you got to be loving life right now, man. It is just fun to watch. When we had it on, you know, we're over there at One Buck Place and going through the, the grind of, you know, open locker rooms and practice. And and I'm telling you, everybody is watching the game. And I know we're all sports geeks anyway. But uh, there have been many days where nobody would turn on the Rays game, where nobody would even think that they were playing. Well, there's a difference you know? in
0: watching it and it's on in the background.
1: No, no. Yeah, exactly. We were watching the game. I mean, this was this was sort of like, oh, my gosh, there's another hit. There's a strike. I mean, it was, you know, it was cool. It was like they're involved in something that matters. Uh, and even again, even though they're, they, they're so far out of the second wild card, it's just that crazy year, right, with the Yankees mm-hmm. and the Red Sox. but. You still kind of in the back of your mind
0: think, well, maybe, <laughs> you know. Hey, a couple years ago, you know, this is now more than a couple, but they were nine games out to start September. I remember of the wild card. Yep, behind Boston, and yep. they made it.
3: They sure now did. they're
0: nine games out now. There's a team to jump in front of them. It's not they're not just behind the second wild card at this point. Right, but you know, with you know, we're still got a week left in August. Is there a
1: chance? Sure. I'll bet those guys are not, are not thinking anything else but that. I bet mm-hmm. that they really believe that. You know what? I mean, here's the thing. If you never lose again, you
0: got a really good look uh, at until it. Until you're eliminated, <laughs> That's right. a chance. Until they put that X there or check yeah, mark. I think the, the, the elimination is. game for the wild card, let me check it. I was looking at it. 23, I think, is the elimination. Yeah, 23 is their elimination number. Yeah. So 23 wins by Oakland or losses by Tampa Bay.
1: Just remarkable, and if you want to get your Kevin Cash manager of your year votes in, go right ahead. As Boston tries to
0: give up this lead to the
1: Yankees, maybe that'll help them. Yeah, well, maybe, maybe Bob Melvin help.
0: wins it after all for Oakland, assuming they keep up their pace, because that's, no, that's that's true. been an incredible job out there. But Kevin Cash absolutely deserves votes, and you know deserves some you know first or second place votes. Well, I'll tell you what he's going to get is a contract extension. Uh, I he think should well earned. He should. I mean, you know, he's what next year will be the last year of his five year contract that he signed when he came to the team. Uh, I think at this point, seeing what he's done with this team and, and how he's helped make this work, that it would be ridiculous not to sign him this offseason. That's right.
1: Well, I'm glad we're talking to Rays. And if you like Rays talk, we had a request. And that request is, please get Mark Tompkin on your podcast. Ask and you shall receive. We will have tomorrow the Rays beat writer of the Tampa Bay Times, Mark Tompkin, is going to join us on this podcast to talk all things Rays. As they head to, uh, I guess they have a series beginning in Atlanta. Yeah, talk about another
0: fun team to watch. Another young, fun team to watch is Atlanta. And they were at the the TROP in May, and that was a fun series. Uh, Not a very high-scoring series, but... uh, Atlanta beat them up, too. Yeah, it it did. Uh, But, yeah, that's that's a fun team. If you haven't seen Ronald Acuna Jr. play or Ozzie Albies, uh, phenomenal young players there. They're a year ahead of schedule. I mean, they're a young team that... We're supposed to, mm-hmm. you know, do about 500 this year. They're way ahead of schedule leading the NL East. Yeah.
1: Yep, it's going, be a, it's going to be a fun series, and so we'll have Mark Tompkin talk to us about that and hope you'll enjoy that interview as always. Mark is a, is a great guest and uh, no, no better time than now to talk Rays baseball as they go into that thing with a, uh, a huge, what, nine-game winning streak? Is that right? That's so an eight-game winning streak for the Rays. Eight-game winning streak and nine games over five hundred. Got it. So, Mark Topkin tomorrow. Hey, listen, we're glad for your interaction. See, it's things like that that you go ahead and send us on Twitter that uh, lets us know what you want to hear, and we're happy to oblige. Of course, we've got a lot of Bucks talk going on throughout the week as they head to their final preseason game on Thursday. And college football Co- starts this week.
0: Thank goodness. Saturday
1: game. I can't wait. Saturday to games, that.
0: but UCF opens their national title defense on Thursday night. They do. Did the NCAA call them national champions? Did I read that right? I don't think so, but I could be mistaken. No, I don't think they are either. I but think they're, they're, pretty, look... they're pretty beholden to the uh, playoff that makes them a ton of money. Yeah,
1: but you've got some good games coming up. I mean, the first week, of, what is it, Alabama-Louisville um, is a pretty good game. You know,
0: Michigan-Notre Dame. You've got Auburn-Washington. That's a top-ten matchup there. That's a good one, too. Yeah, so – College football is back. I can't wait to
1: wake up and uh, watch uh, Herbie and the boys and, you know. uh,
0: Got USF-Elon.
1: game day. (laughs) Is that who they're playing, Elon? That's correct. I could be wrong about this. This is just purely of a memory, so don't quote me on it. You can look it up if you want to. I think the first game that USF ever played might have been against Elon. It was kentucky Wesleyan. Dang it. I
0: knew it was was one of those teams. I was close. Well, anyway. The Gators have Charleston-Southern. Charleston Southern or worse. Yeah, now Florida State's got Virginia Tech on Monday night, Labor Day night. That'll be a that's good game. A tough that's a top one. 20 matchup. Yeah, that's a
1: tough one for them. That'll be a tough mm-hmm. one for Willie Taggart to open. I, I imagine that he's going to name uh, DeAndre Francois as his quarterback. That announcement is supposed to come really soon. Mm-hmm. That's
0: my prediction anyway. Yeah. And uh, Miami's uh, so. opening at LSU. That's another good matchup. That's on Sunday. Really good. That's Sunday night this weekend. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Premier games. I like the way college football does it. They have two or three of these premier games and we can all dive right in and get excited about it. And so yeah. it'll be great. Love college football being back. The Just one more game in the NFL preseason. And so um, that's almost here. We're almost going to be in New Orleans. I can smell the I don't know. The gumbo and the beignets. Yes, or the jambalaya or whatever. whatever. Yeah, whatever we eat over there. It's <laughs> going to be great. Anyway, thanks for uh, listening to this podcast. And as always, you can reach us on Twitter. Do that and let us know what you think uh, at SportsDayTB. TV. We're at SportsDayTB. You can reach me on Twitter at NFL Stroud. Or my email address is rstroud at Tampa As always, we'd love for you to rate and review this podcast.
0: And you can do that anywhere you get your podcast, whether it's Apple Podcast or Google Play, maybe it's Stitcher, SoundCloud, or TuneIn, just hit that Like button. That always helps us out. Or better yet, ref- tell us a friend that we, we're here, send them a link, and uh, let them download the show as well.
1: And as always, our, our thanks to our sponsor, Continental Wholesale Diamonds. Please, please go see our friend Andy over there. And if you spend just $2,000 on your loved one, he's going to hook you up with the best jewelry you've ever seen. And guess what? You get to take her to a five-day, four-night cruise for two to the Caribbean. Your choice of cruise line, your choice of destination. Only for our listeners, you have to tell them that Rick and Steve sent you. Our thanks again. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. First, Steve Versnick, have a great Monday, everybody. Hold
2: up. What was that?